Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, we are, well, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm the senior pastor here at New Life. And um, I want to remind you of something really quick. Esther just talked about um, we are doing this annual teacher supply drive. We've done this now for I've, probably about three or four years. And um, this is a really tenuous time. I don't know if you've got kids, school-age kids, then um, you understand the, uh, the questions and the confusion of what in the world this next school year is going to look like. And uh, being a, uh, a husband of a fourth grade public school teacher, um, there's a, it's a tenuous time to be, uh, to be a teacher right now, not knowing necessarily what the school year is going to hold for them as well. And I know in my talks with with people in the, the Biddeford School District that they, uh, that they're really wanting to open up for in-person learning here in this, in this school district. And so I just want to encourage you to, to just, if we could support and bless the teachers that are caring for the kids, um, the children here in this district. And um, there's a list of needed supplies. You can go to nlc.today, click on events, and uh, you'll see the the supply drive, teacher supply drive, there's a whole list of stuff. So if, you, if you're out and about and you want to pick some things up, you can bring those in throughout the week here in our church offices um, up until through next Sunday, this coming Sunday. So you can dr- bring it to church if you want to and drop it off as well. But um, I just want to encourage you to just, if we could just, just surprise them with blessing in a time where there's a whole lot of uncertainty um, moving forward. Amen? Amen? Amen. So we started a series... Last week, we were going through the, the book of First Peter, and um, if, you've, if you've never read First Peter, then uh, if you just go to the book of Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible, and then just go back like 10 pages, you'll probably be right there at First Peter. It's a very short book, and um, I really feel like it's like a now book for us moving forward as a church, and um, I, I just feel like even as, as, Amer- as Americans in, in this Christian church, uh, Peter's writing to a group of Christians that are going through a whole lot of difficulties and persecution, and uh, they're scattered. You, you, if you just read verse 1 of First Peter, uh, he talks about how they're living in different places, and uh, different places that are not really their true homes, uh, but they're... they're they're all over the place in, um, in kind of this area of eastern Turkey. And uh, we said last week that if you're a person living in a new country, you can be like one of three different things. The first thing you might be is an immigrant. If you, if you find yourself in a new country, then um, an immigrant is somebody who, you know, comes to a new place and wants to make that place their permanent home. Right? We move, you know, my, my, great, great, my great-grandfather, Jeremiah Sweeney, came over on a boat from Ireland to make America his new home, and hence why, why I'm here today. Um, this is kind of, when we talk about immigrants, you know, this is kind of how a lot of Christians treat the world. We live as, as citizens of the world, and we try to make this world our permanent home. And so we read scriptures about like, yeah, you know, you're citizens of heaven and all that. But when it comes to the things that are important to us and how we spend our time, how we invest our money, um, what concerns us and worries us and the anxieties that we have, we can sometimes act like this world is all that there is. Like it's our permanent home. Secondly, if, you're, if you find yourself in a new place, you may not be an immigrant, you might be a tourist. 
These are, these are people that are just passing through, right? These are people that are just visiting. If you're a tourist, you're not looking to run for city council. You're not, running, you're not looking to make some long-lasting, meaningful relationships. You're maybe not even looking to learn a new um, language. You know, you, you go with your family or on a, one of those bus tours, and you, you speak your own language with your own group of people, and you're just going through and passing through an area. And uh, that's this is kind of how sometimes Christians can look at the world around them too. We can kind of feel like insulated and, and, and shut off and we're kind of, yeah, we're here, but we're, we're not necessarily a part of this, this, this world. We're, 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 just, we're just really a part of a citizen of heaven. But this isn't what, what Peter names these people when he's, when he's talking to them in 1 Peter. He calls them something weird. He calls them exiles. And, and, and he uses these, this weird term. He actually calls them like, it can be translated resident aliens. Resident aliens. In other words, these are people that are setting up home in a strange land, but their hearts are longing to the one day they can return back home. And this is kind of a great illustration of what it can look like or what, what we're called to be as Christians in this world. Resident aliens. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole idea that, like, yes, we, we live in this world, we reside in this world, we, we, we may run for city council, we're a part of the political process of this world, but, but we're actually citizens of heaven. First and foremost, our citizenship is, is in heaven, and we eagerly await our Savior from there. Like, that's that's where we put our time and our effort and our money and our focus, and that's, that's what concerns us. And so it's with this premise that Peter is building on this, and um, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we went through chapter, uh, verses 1 through 12 last week. This, this week we're going to pick up in verse 13, and I'd love it if you, I want to invite you, if you're in one of our in-person uh, venues, to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. If you're home, you can feel free to stand as well. I don't know if it's going to be awkward for you. Um, so before we get started, I want you to notice something in verse 13. It's a very, it starts with a very interesting word. That word is therefore. Now, when I was in Bible college, they always taught me that whenever you're reading the Bible and you get to the word therefore, you need to back up and understand what it's there for. That's what I know. It's silly. It's like a dad joke. But um, so you may remember that the whole like verses one through 12, we went through last week. If you weren't here, you can catch up. But um, he was essentially reminding these resident aliens what they have in Jesus. He's like, look, y'all have like an amazing gift. You have been born again into a hope, a living hope. He says it never expires. It never spoils. It never fades, never goes bad. It's always fresh this living hope that you're born into. But, but now in verse 13, and, and as we continue through the rest of this chapter, he's going to be saying something that's very important for us to realize. He starts out with this word, therefore. In other words, if what I just wrote for the previous 12 verses is true, if you really are like, like born into with this living hope, and then this is what it looks like to walk it out. He says, this is what it looks like to live like you're born again. So buckle up. He, this is Peter, so he, he probably will offend you. You may get offended today. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. We're going to continue down through verse 23. 
He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at, this, at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God." Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it would change us from the inside out today. I pray that you would... um, that it would be the living word as we, as we just enjoy a living hope. God, I pray that it would offend our flesh even today, that, uh, that we wouldn't leave this place unchanged by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. So he starts out with this, this first, we, we said it starts out with the word therefore, and then he says in verse 13, with minds that are alert and fully sober. He's not talking about like um, fully sober, like not drunk. He's saying like fully sober, like aware, alert, and at, at the ready. Now, if you have the New King James Version, you have a little different translation. Um, it says this in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. It just sounds weird, doesn't it? Can we just be honest about this? Like, gird up the loins of your mind. And I mean, I kind of grew up reading the New King James Version. I would go past this, giggle a little bit, and continue having no idea what I just read. Like, gird up the loins of your mind. I, what, what does that even mean? Now, here's, here's the thing, and this is kind of, it's kind of cool because I think that this illustration of, of what this is pulling out really helps us. So, when back in the day, everyone used to wear tunics, uh, which is kind of like long dresses. Men, women would wear these things, right? Maybe they'll make a comeback one of these days. Um, they were nice and flowy, right? I mean, that's kind of the cool thing, the, not form-fitting, so you could just kind of hide a multitude of sins. And, um, and uh, the, here's the thing, though, nice and flowy, but if you needed to get some work done, if you needed to run, if you needed to walk up some stairs, if you needed to fight, these, th- these things would get in the way because they went all the way down to, to the ground, right down to your ankles, right? And so you'd step on it, you'd get tripped up on it, you couldn't run because you couldn't get a full stride. And so what they would do is they would gird up their loins. Now, what that means is you essentially bunch up the dress, put it in the front, pull it down the back, and then tuck it into a belt. So you essentially take what looked like a dress and make it into looking like a cloth diaper. 
If you've ever seen somebody, if you've ever traveled, you know, outside of the U.S. and you've seen people with girded up loins, you're like, well, that's awkward, right? I mean, but, but they're working. They're getting things done. They're running. They're, 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 they're out and about and, and, and doing stuff. This is, this, is what, this is what that whole thing of girding up the loins. But, but this, is, this is the interesting thing is what he says is that, that you were supposed to gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Because here's the thing. If you don't gird up your loins, then you will trip. You get tripped up. You'll be slow. And, and in today's terms, it would essentially be like saying rolling up your sleeves. Right? I've got to get some work done. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. So he's saying, like, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Get ready to work in your mind. In other words, tie up any loose ends that will hinder you from forward motion. Gather it up. Get ready. Buckle up, and let's move forward. This is what he's talking about. So the first and foremost, the thing that, that, that Peter is talking about, is like, you've got to get mastery over this thing. They're like the six inches or whatever in between your ears. Like this is the most important thing that where this transformation begins. And then he continues in the same verse, verse 13. He says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Essentially, he says, like, you, you have to have your loins girded and your heart guarded. You have to have your loins girded and your heart guarded. And, and I think it's important for us to realize one thing here in verse 13 is to realize that in Christ, it is possible to control what you set your mind on. Like you're not just at the, the whim of whatever your brain wants to tell you to do. Like he says, you don't have to set your mind on things that are, that are crude or perverted or selfish. Like, you can choose to set your mind on the grace of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that it's easy. Notice he actually says you've got to gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, like, get ready to work. But, but I, the thing before we even move on here, I want us to realize is that either verse 13 is true or, or Peter is telling us to do something that is impossible for us to do. And that would just be cruel. He's like, yeah, you, you know, gird up the loins of your mind, set your hope, and let, 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 let's start moving forward. If that's impossible for us to do, and we're just at the whim of whatever it is that is around us and whatever the world is telling us to do and whatever our mind is, is kind of set on, then, then that would be cruel for Peter to even tell us, like, that this is what we need to be about. He's telling these people, in this world, you will have trouble. But in Christ, you can gird up your mind. And then he says, and you can set your hope. And this isn't like a set it and forget it. This isn't like a crock pot. This isn't like, yeah, I'm setting my hope on Jesus, and then I'm going to go about and do the rest of my things. This is like an active setting. This is an active hope as we set our hope on the grace of Jesus Christ. Because it is so easy. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can relate. It is so easy for us to drift and to begin to set our hope on other things. I find this today more than ever in my own life. Like, it is so easy for me to start setting my hope in money or setting my hope in an election or setting my hope in a job or setting my hope into a person. And Peter is saying, like, he's speaking to these people that are exiled. They're resident aliens. Nothing's going their way. They're not even in their own home. And he's like, set your hope on Jesus Christ. 
Because if you do not set your hope in God, then your hope will be set in something else as your God. That's just how drift happens. Because your God is whatever you set your hope in. This is why he's like, you need to set your hope in God. Because if you're not setting your hope in God, I guarantee you, you will set your hope in something else that will turn into your God. In other words, we call it an idol. And let me tell you, we vehemently defend our idols. And I may even poke on some of these. Peter might poke on some of your idols today. And I'm just going to tell you, your flesh might get a little upset. And that's okay. But we vehemently defend our idols. He goes on in verse 14. Follow along with me. He says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. I don't know about you, but like in this world, um, we have this pressure to conform. And it's not just peer pressure. This isn't just what teenagers go through or middle schoolers go through. Like we find this as adults, this pressure to conform. I've noticed more than, more than ever probably over these past six months, I feel like the American world is kind of set up as uh, like a sporting event at best, a war zone at worst. In other words, like you've got to pick a team. You, you, you have to pick a team. Well, I don't, I don't really want to pick a team. You've got to pick a team. Which team is it? Well, you've got choices, right? You've got you know, CNN or Fox, pick a team. A Democrat or Republican, pick a team. Trump or no Trump, pick a team. You need to pick a team. Well, I don't want to pick it. You have to pick a team. Not picking a team will put you out there, right? And some, some of you may be like, well, I just want to be on Team Jesus. And it's like, well, Peter is reminding them, like, as resident aliens, you should, your, your, your alliance, first and foremost, as citizens of heaven, is to be on Team Jesus. Those other things may be important and those teams may be significant to us. And he's not negating those things, but he's like, look, first and foremost, as resident aliens, we're, we're, we're all on, on Team Jesus because we're, we're, that's where our hope comes from. Because at the end of my days, I'm accountable to God for my own actions. And if we think that Jesus is going to say, oh, oh, okay, oh, you were on that team? Oh, okay, cool. You voted that way? Oh, all right, good. You agreed with that person? Oh, come on in, come on in, come on in. The Bible that I read says, you know, be gone from me, I never knew you. Like, this is, this is about a relationship with God. It's a rude awakening for, for some of us as we, as we kind of like lean into other things and lean into the teams that we choose when God's like, you need to be on team Jesus first and foremost. Peter says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you, and, and this is where it starts to get a little frustrating for me. He says, when you lived in ignorance. Sorry, I don't remember living in ignorance, Peter. Like, he's like, no, you're an idiot. Remember that? It's like, remember when you were an ignoramus? Remember when you were a moron? Like, nope, I always kind of considered myself pretty well learned. Yeah, like I added Jesus to this mix, but like that was also a really good decision on my part, right? And he's like, no, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't go back to the ignorant ways that you used to live in. I'm kind of like, I don't remember those much. Some of you are like, oh, I remember those. 
This is Peter getting kind of honest and gritty, and you're going to find this throughout his whole letter. Like, he just kind of, just in normal Peter fashion, just kind of runs in like a bull in a china shop and just says it like it is, leaving a wake of people questioning, saying, what did he mean by that? He's like, yeah, just don't go back to the way that, remember when you used to be ignorant? Don't go back there. (laughs) So, So how can we live in ignorance and not know it? I mean, even as Christians today, like, how do we, if he's like, don't go back to the way that you used to live when, it was in, when you lived in ignorance, like, if he has to remind them and maybe has to remind us, how do we live in ignorance and not even know it? Well, when we look at our, at our world today, what we find is that narrative is our culture's currency. He who tells the best story wins. I don't know if you noticed that recently. You, you look on social media, look on our news, news feeds, you look at our news media. He who tells the best story wins. You can kind of gather people around and spin things however way you, you choose to spin them, wins, wins the race. And I want to remind you of a, of a scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Isn't that interesting that he says that, like turn aside to myths. In other words, turn aside to a narrative that maybe I kind of want to hear. We can turn away from the truth and end up buying a false story that just sounds good. I kind of want to hear that story. I want that to be the narrative. And, and the world around us is never short on myths. Did you know that? Never short on telling us what we want to hear. So I was writing down a few of these. These, some of these will probably offend you, so get ready. Um, he says, uh, here are some false stories that we're tempted to buy into. These are myths that, you know, of your former ignorance that may try to creep their way back into our current ignorance. <laughs> he says, the first one would be romanticism. And this is, a lot of these are isms, right? So romanticism, this is the myth that tells us that you, you are your emotions. So like if it feels good, it must be good right? Like if it, if it feels like this is the right way to go, then it must be the right way to go. And so the more intense the emotion, the more real or true it is. I have this intense, you know, desire to go do this. It must be God's will for me. This is romanticism and it, and it draws a whole lot of people to be kind of led by their feelings rather than the word of God, rather than the, the voice of prudence. We just kind of run headlong into something out of romanticism. The second one, consumerism. This is the myth that tells you that you are what you have. You are what you have. And so this is, it kind of tells you that your worth is based upon the value and quality of the things that belong to you. And so we spend our days trying to accumulate enough stuff to make us feel like we have worth. Consumerism. If I can just get enough things, surround myself with enough stuff, then I will feel insulated the third one, individualism. This is a myth that tells you that um, you are at the center of all things. And the world kind of revolves around me. And everybody else is just a supporting actor in my story. 
And uh, so we spend our entire lives trying to do things like being self-reliant and, and self-dependent, and I don't really need other people. Individualism, it's kind of something that, that even in our culture is just held up high as, as something that we should strive for. The fourth one is uh, cultural Christianity. This is a myth that tells you that you need to be baptized, that we need to baptize Christians into Americanism. Because after all, aren't they synonymous, right? Like it, this, is the, this is the myth that kind of settles for Judeo-Christian values, but it ends up looking far more cultural than Christian. And where we kind of conflate those two things as being American and being Christian is the same thing. And many times they're very, 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 very different. And it's very difficult sometimes to pull those two things away to be able to see them clearly. It's incredibly relevant in this polarized country that we're living in right now where, where even people on both sides of a political spectrum will, will see things as kind of American Christianity at the same time. And maybe some of these offended you. Your flesh got a little like, where's he going with that? Lay off there, Pastor Justin. You seem like you were, you were, are you getting political here? No, actually I'm not. I'm doing my best not to be. Because I think one of the challenges of discipleship in the 21st century is coming to terms with the passions of our former ignorance as a myth. Because I think that there's something in every single one of us that wants to believe that stuff. I want to believe that like that next car I buy, that bigger house, like that's going to give me what I want. I want to believe that if I can just be independent and I don't need somebody, I I don't want to feel needy, then that's going to be enough. I want to believe that, 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 that if I could just move forward in this area of my life, then that's going to be enough. And the story sounds so good to our itching ears, but it's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Can I just say, and I think Peter is reminding these resident aliens that he's speaking to 2,000 years ago, I think it, was, it still rings true for us. Like, we don't need more isms. We need Jesus. We, we, we don't need more of any of those false myths, the stories, the narratives that sound good to our itching ears, the things that everybody else around us is running towards, and we're thinking, well, maybe I just need to keep up. I should just start running too. And, and Peter's telling them, and I think he would be pressing on us, he's saying, like, you don't need that stuff. In fact, what you do need is more of Jesus. Like, the church is not supposed to echo what is happening in the culture. The church is supposed to echo Heaven so that we can bring heaven to earth. Not trying to figure out, okay, how can I live from the culture up? He's like this very different way of looking at things. And Jesus preaches this time and time and time again. We do not live from culture up. We live kingdom down. You are first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And our job, even in the the most famous prayer, is that we would pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That our job is to pull heaven to earth. That means not just in like, God, I pray that you would bring healing. It means that sometimes, God, I pray you would change me from the inside out. That my head, my brain, what's in between these two ears would be changed and transformed and be aligned with what it is that your kingdom says, even if it's completely different from those around me. We don't live from culture up. We live from kingdom down. 
as resident aliens here on this earth. And then he continues in verse 15. He says this, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I'm holy. So Peter's like, all right, gird up your loins of your mind, set your hope, don't believe in myths. But now he like switches gears on us and he's like, don't just get born again, live like you're born again. Be holy is what he says. I don't know about you, like I grew up in a um, very conservative um, denomination um, that was very consumed with the, this word holy. And I, I kind of, I don't know about, like whenever we say the word holy, there's always these connotations and visions that come up for every single one of us. Um, for me, growing up holy, there was a look to holy. Holy looked a lot like this. Holy was pious. Holy was silent. Holy was eyes closed. Holy was head down. Holy was kneeling. Holy, holy was actually determined by what I didn't do, not so much of what I did do. I didn't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. Like I, that was how holiness was defined. So when I hear this word like be ye holy, even as I am holy, I kind of have this connotation around this word holy, and it's, it's not necessarily the, the, the best, because holy was meant kind of judgy. It's being judgy on, uh, on other people, and that's being holy. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that that's the stuff, and probably for some of you that grew up in, in the church or had a someone that, that did judge you, that's kind of what you looked at. Well, I guess that person's holy. They judge me a lot. Good job on being holy. This word that, that, that he says, holy, 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 he says it like, what, four times in this one verse? It's this Greek word, hagios. And, and the fundamental core meaning of this word is this, different, different, different. Holiness is like being set apart, unlike something else. So Peter is essentially telling them, be weird. Be holy. Be weird. Be weird in all you do is actually what he says. If we're going to just kind of use that word as kind of a, a Justin definition of this word holy, be weird in you. You should be different. You should be weird. You should live differently than the world around you. Because what the world calls weird what God calls holy, the world calls even, maybe even narrow-minded or even, even bad. The things that you would do and choose to do with, the, with your time, with your sexuality, with your money, with, you, with, with relationships, the things that you would choose, I mean, that's just weird. Why would you want to do that? It's weird. And Peter's reminding them, you, you're called as resident aliens in this world to be different. In fact, you should be. You shouldn't be concerned that you're weird. You should be concerned when you're not. You should be concerned when you're living from the culture up, not, not when you're living from the kingdom down. And this reminder is so good for us even today. In verse 15, he says essentially that the holiness of God calls for a response from us. In other words, you should live your life a reflection of the God you love.
And this is where he starts to get in a little bit, stepping on people's toes. Because he's like, look, it's not just at church. This isn't a holy get down, do your thing, pious, silent. This isn't just around churchy people. Be holy in all you do. Another translation would be that be holy, be different, be weird. And then he says this, in every department of your life. As a man, we know departments. We like compartments. We like to have, this is, this is where my work is. This is my family. This is my marriage. This is where God fits. And he's got a little box, and I take him out on Sundays, and there you go. And then we put him away, and we take him out. And we, we have all these different compartmentalizing ways of keeping things separated. And what Peter is saying, be holy in every compartment of your life. <laughs> Which means that there isn't a God department of our life. There isn't a, there isn't a, oh, this is his cubby and I got my, my stuff and my God stuff in here. He says, you need to be separate from everything, like different, weird. You're called to be different in every department of your life, not just, not just some, not just one. So the question is this, like what department of your life is God wanting access to? Where is he calling you to be weird again? Like maybe you even used to be weird in this area of your life, but man, that, and you grew up, you grew out of it. I, I, I kind of got this thing down, and I got this church thing down, I got this Christian thing down. Like where is he calling you to be weird again? To believe him differently? What department looks a whole lot like everybody else around you? That's probably the department that he's like, I need you to be weird again. You're looking normal. And I don't like normal. He continues in verse 17, he says this. Since you call on, on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, I know this is odd, but if you just read verse 17, it sounds weird coming from a preacher. I understand this. But did you notice that Peter just told them to live in fear? You read it for yourself. He literally says, I want you to live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Live in fear. Which seems weird because I was always told, you know, especially as a preacher, you know, we live in faith, not fear. Why would Peter write this? Why would he say, no, you're supposed to live in fear? He's saying as resident aliens, you should live out your time here in reverent fear. And he's reminding us and them that we should fear living our lives as though our hope is not in God. As though, as, as though this was it. So don't fear when you're different. Be concerned when, when you're not. When, when, when you conduct yourself in a way that would, that would show that your hope is in money rather than God, you should fear. When, when you conduct yourself in a way that that, that would show that your hope is in the, the pleasure of pornography instead of God, then you, you should fear. He's essentially like, look, like, 
You, you should live in reverent awe, in reverent fear as we live out this amazing living hope that is available to us. You have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. So don't act as if it were worth, you were worth less than that which Christ's blood purchased for you. This is the tough part, man. He's like, live, be holy, even as I am holy. You should fear conducting yourself as though Christ's ransom for you was not precious. He's like, yes, you have this living hope. It never spoils, never fades, never dies. And therefore, be holy. Live, walk as someone who has been born again. Peter is continually telling us that there is power in the blood of Jesus. Not, 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 just, not just for a ticket into heaven, but he's continually saying, like, it, this is for victory over the power of sin today in your everyday life. And he sometimes means that he's going to step on our toes a bit and cause us to push forward and open up different compartments of our life so that God has a say in those areas of our life. Why don't you stand with me? This last verse, I'm going to read it. Um, it starts in, in verse 22. He says, he, he kind of switches gears on us. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. And then he says this, love one another deeply from the heart. The last point he makes is this, we are to love extravagantly, deeply from the heart. And I don't know about you, but like even just if you just read through, you know, you go home today, you read through chapter one, it is like a whiplash he starts out talking about like, okay, yeah, how awesome your salvation is. Isn't it awesome? You have this living hope. You're, you're born again into a living hope that never fades, never, never dies, never spoils. And I like that. I mean, that's, that's great. First 12 verses, I'm like, hallelujah. Thank you for reminding me of that. And then he's like, now you need to be holy. Like you need to have holy living and start living like you're born again. And then this last verse, he starts talking about loving people. I'm like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Like, it's just about me and you, God. Like, I got this living hope, and I'm going to try to, you know, not smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do, and I'm going to try to be virtuous and holy and committed and all these things. And he's like, not only that, you need to fervently love people deeply from your heart. And the longer I live, the more I find is that loving people is the hardest work around because no offense, you're difficult to love sometimes. You're a little prickly, right? And so am I. I find that, yeah, I could do this thing, hallelujah, I got this, this hope, you know, I'm born again, and yes, I'm going to now do things differently. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend my money, I'm going to spend my time, I'm going to invest and relate, I'm going to do these things differently. But this whole love thing, like, who? Her? Him? What? I find this, is, this is the hardest thing. And what I've found is that when we talk about love, it's so much more than poems and love songs and Hallmark greeting cards. I find that, that you have to be tough to be able to love. 
Like, love is hard work. It is long-suffering. It, it is, it, you have to put up with a whole bunch of junk in order to love. And I want to end this today as we sing this last song with this, this understanding. And I, think, I feel like Peter's bringing us to this, this crisis point. As we walk this Christian journey, there are two ditches that we fall into sometimes. One of them is holy living. We can, we can fall into this, this ditch of like everything is about, you know, I need to toe the line. I need to live this life. I need to do this thing. I need to live holy, be holy, committed, loyal. I need to do these things and not do these things. I need to stay away from this and go towards this. I need to do this. And it's about do's and don'ts. And then on the other side, we have this other ditch that is all about, you know, loving people. We just need to love, love, love. Now, you're like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, here's the thing. People that are on this side, look over to this side. People that are just like, I just need to love people. And you're over there looking at them. You're like, you're a bunch of hippies. <laughs> the Word of God means nothing to you. You're just loving people and you're not doing anything. You're not living holy. You're just doing your own thing, but you just love, 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 love. You're just pouring chocolate sauce on a pile of beep, right? And you're just looking over here. And then the people over here are on this side of the ditch. They're looking over the people that are like holy living and you need to commit and you need to be loyal. You need to show up. You need to do these things and not do these things. And we're like, man, will you get in touch? Come on, dude. Can we hug, right? You know, because, because you're over here and like, I, do, I, I just don't understand why you can't get over your bad self so that you can start loving on people that Jesus died for. And so we kind of find ourselves on, kind of on one of these two ruts and these two sides of the ditch. And, and, and yet what Peter is saying and what Jesus proclaims time and time again is that actually he seems to think that we can live holy and also love fervently. That we can have grace in truth. That these two things actually don't have to be ditches, that they are actually this tension that we have to continually hold on to in, the, in, in this walk. It, 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 do, I, do I need more, more grace in my life? Do I need, to, do I need to, to work on loving people more, or do I need to actually start walking in more obedience? Are there areas where God is calling me out and saying, this is a compartment that you think I shouldn't be in, but I desperately need to because it will bring long-lasting change in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your world. So as we sing today, the, the end of this message really is up to you. I, I just wonder if maybe you just ask the Lord, like, Lord, what do I need more today? Do I need more holiness? Obedience? I know I just need to love more. Do I, do I need to walk in, 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 in what it is that you're calling me to that I'm refusing to obey you in? Or am I, am I actually just refusing to stretch myself to love the unlovable and to walk in that? It's different for every single one of us, I think, as we walk in this, this thing we call the Christian life. So, Lord Jesus, as we, as we sing today, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, I pray you would convict us and ruffle our feathers. God, I pray that you would step on our toes. I pray that you would cause us to grow. I pray that you would plant seeds. If you, it, look, if you want to grow weeds, do nothing. If you want to grow, you need to plant seeds. 
And so, Jesus, I pray that you would overseed us today, that you would remind us the beautiful calling we have to walk hard after you. And if we're, we're in an area where we have a deficit in an area, God, I pray that you would pull something out of us, that whether that's loving more fervently or that's living more holy, God, I pray that we would continually walk straight in the path that you've set before us because that's where our hope is. And we refuse to walk after myths or false stories. Lord Jesus, lead us. Lead us, lead us, lead us. Lead us into all righteousness. So we join together in worship today. God, I pray you would be lifted up high above all the things that we might want to place in, in, in your place. We worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name, let's worship.